Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I did the video the other day about how California might do away with a traditional bar exam. And I mentioned that I have mixed feelings about that because I, I'm not sure the bar exam is a perfect test for whether or not someone can become a lawyer. But when you say, well, we're going to let you apprentice for a few months and just turn in samples of your writing, it would be too easy to cheat. That's my biggest problem with that. But I, I agree that that there's no reason why they couldn't change it. They came up with a better alternative. And so I mentioned in passing that I believe it's New Hampshire has an alternate way to become a lawyer. And I just mentioned that and moved on. And I got a really nice note from Holly. And Holly said, Steve, I just found you on YouTube a few months ago and have been watching. Thank you. <laughs> you recently did a bit on California getting rid of the bar exam. And you briefly mentioned the New Hampshire alternate bar exam path. And I did not know anything beyond that other than they simply had another way of doing it. It's called the Daniel Webster Scholar Program, the DWS program. When I was in law school, I went through the program. It takes place in the last two years of law school. Traditional law school is three years. The first year is a house of pain, but it's the basics. Contracts, constitutional law, uh, torts, uh, and then you'll eventually start getting things like evidence, criminal procedure, civil procedure, and uh, depends on how those things are spread out, but, but those are all the core classes you've got to take. So she says that you start in the second year in this program. The Webster Scholar Program is a hands-on program where simulations take place in some of the classes, like the trial practice you talk about. But there are classes like that for client interviewing, pre-trial advocacy, trial advocacy, business transactions, negotiations, and others I'm not remembering right now. Now, I can tell you that, that when I went to law school, I actually went to Southwestern University in Los Angeles. I've mentioned that before. I went to a two-year law program. They have a three-year law program, but they've got a two-year program called SCALE. And SCALE is an acronym for Southwestern's Conceptual Approach to Legal Education. And the program is a little different. Uh, we didn't have a class called torts. We didn't have a class called contracts. They broke these things up into different categories. And so you might have a class that addresses both of those with respect to intent. Um, at the time, I didn't understand some of it, but I, I just plowed through it because it was a two-year law program. But a lot of what we did in there was stuff like this. Like, I was required to take trial practice. But I also took a class where we negotiated something. I took, an, you know, and so those kinds of things are extremely useful because you can read about this stuff all day long. But the second I say, okay, you know that whole book you read on contracts? Draft one. Um, okay. And by the way, the book on contracts never says, here's how to draft one. The book on contracts goes, here's a bunch of cases that interpret contracts. So she said that they do all this stuff for you. And she said, then we had to keep a portfolio with coursework, including DVDs with videos of us practicing. So that might date this, <laughs> but I, I, I suppose that, you know, I mean, I still have a DVD player. Uh, we were each assigned a bar examiner who reviewed our portfolio to determine if we were proficient in the practice of law. We were sworn into the bar the day before graduation. Now, you might say, wait, 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 <laughs> are there lawyers before they graduate? Well, the day before graduation, you're probably done with all the substantive work, and it's a matter of putting on a gown and walking across the stage and shaking someone's hand. But sworn into the New Hampshire bar the day before graduation, there are a maximum 
of 24 students per year who are chosen for the program. Doesn't sound like many, but I guess the question is how many other potential lawyers are there in New Hampshire each year? Law firms who have hired DWS participants have reported that they feel they are more prepared to hit the ground running than traditional law students. It's an amazing program that all law schools should offer. In reality, all law students should have the opportunity to be in a program like this. And I agree, and I also think that it's simply a matter of shaking up the industry a little bit. So if you, if you ever want to know more about law school, um, there's a great book called 1L, 1L, O-N-E-L. And it's named after the first year of law school at Harvard Law School. And a guy, Scott Turow, went to Harvard, and he's a well-known writer since then also. But he wrote the book about his experience going to law school in the first year at Harvard. And you can read what it's like, and every law school, shockingly, is run basically the same way. And so on day one in class, you were told a few days earlier, read these cases. And you come into class, and a professor's at the front, looks down at the attendance sheet and goes, Steve Leto. And looks around to see, you know, kind of like who he poked. And I raised my hand. Mr. Leto, did you read the case of Yik Woe? Yes, I did, sir. <laughs> Give me the important facts underlying that case. And then I'd go through a recitation of the facts. What was the issue before the court on appeal? What was the issue that appeared to be the problem at the trial court? What did the first appellate court who saw it say about what the trial court did? What would have happened if this had been in a different state? Would that have made a difference? Explain. And just sits there and fires questions at you. And these are professors, some of whom have taught these classes for 20 or 30 years. They know these cases inside and out. And if they think you've read the material, all they're going to do is start poking more and more specifically at stuff to see where your weaknesses are. But it teaches you to think like an attorney and to analyze cases because that's how you learn to understand the law. But after you've done that for one year, I don't know that you're gaining anything from it by the second year or the third year. And so it would make sense to shift from this theoretical stuff in a classroom into more of a laboratory, actual practice stuff. So I like what she's describing here. And like I said, the program I was in was kind of like that. We still did have classes with teachers and the Socratic method asking us questions. And I remember there were a couple teachers, uh, professors in law school, where there were some students who were on the verge of a nervous breakdown before class every single day. Because they're like, when that guy calls on you, it's like getting punched in the face in public. That's what it feels like to many people. The good news is, if you did the reading and you understood it, you're good. You're good. But heaven forbid you didn't do the reading or you skimmed it. <laughs> and I remember one class, I can still remember the teacher, I can still remember the student, woman who sat in front of me. Teacher calls on her and she goes, pass. And he goes, not if you do that again. And he let her slide. And he called on her the next day and grilled her for like an hour. Because he never said you could take a pass. 
But also, he never said you couldn't. So, <laughs> I can still tell you to this day the cases I was grilled on by whom and what we talked about. And I remember one day, and, and my friends from law school, fairly small class, but my friends from law school will remember this. They'll remember it too. We read a case in one of our classes, and we had a professor named Knipprath. Professor Knipprath, one of the brightest, most intelligent people who's ever walked the face of this planet. And he knew his stuff really well. And we read the case about those two oil companies that sued each other. And at one point in time, the jury verdict was the largest jury verdict in American history. Really, really lengthy opinion, though. It, it was a nightmare. And I slogged through it because I found it interesting. It was one of the, one of the few cases I paid that much attention to. <laughs> Walk into class, sit down. Mr. Leto. <laughs> I look up, I'm like, Yes. Did you read the case? Yes, I did. Starts firing questions at me. And I think I may have been the only person called on that day in that class, or if not, at least as one of two. And we walked out of that room, and a couple guys came up to me and like, holy dude, that was insane. I go, you have no idea if you did that yesterday, I would have flopped. Tomorrow I'd flop, but this one I just happened to have read the material really carefully. <laughs> Again, that does teach you how to think on your feet. And there are occasions as attorneys where you're in court, whether it's in court arguing a motion to a judge, in appellate court arguing to a panel, at the Supreme Court arguing to the whole bench, right? Where you're standing there and you've prepared what you're going to talk about and you get one sentence in and one judge just goes, excuse me, let's just get straight to the issue here. Isn't your client really a such and such? <laughs> and you've got to be able to shift gears radically to where you can get away from what you were about to say, answer that question in the appropriate manner, and then either go off on that tangent or get back to what you're doing. And you've got to learn to think on your feet and argue like that, but that's not the only thing attorneys do. And so the critical thinking is extremely important for an attorney, but so are being able to talk to clients, being able to talk to other attorneys. Uh, and so negotiating you know, and so, I mean, I had a class on pre-trial practice, and there's a book, a textbook on it. It has all these different things you need to learn, and there's one section on, on trying to settle a case, negotiating a settlement. And so I would divide the class up into pairs and say, you're the plaintiff, you're the defendant, plaintiff, defendant, plaintiff, defendant. And I gave them a hypothetical fact pattern. I said, the plaintiff represents the plaintiff, defendant represents the defendant. And I go, you've got to negotiate a settlement. I'm not going to tell you what... The parameters are, I'm sorry, I would give the plaintiff an envelope and go, this is a number. It's the smallest number your client will accept. And I'd give the defendant an envelope with a number and say, this is the most your client will pay. So you assume for today that you are representing a client who's there with you. This is the authority you have. Negotiate. And I would grade them based on who was farther off the median in their direction. In other words, did the plaintiff get more than halfway or did the defendant pay less? You know, And so uh, it's something that people, many people haven't done. I mean, a lot of people go out and buy used cars, you know, and it might feel like that sometimes, but not quite. It's not quite the same. So Holly, thanks for the note. I'm glad that you did this. I'm glad you sent me a note about it because it's always cool to learn about programs I know nothing about prior. 
Daniel Webster Scholar Program in New Hampshire uh, lets a handful of students go through the program and actually do hands-on stuff, simulations, and then when they get out of law school, no need to take the bar exam if they pass with what they did there. Sounds like a great idea. More people should do it. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. If you wait to do everything until you're sure it's right, you'll probably never do much of anything.